Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Here, Father John and White Fang himself. Hello. Father Nathan Goebel, FNG. is why he goes by Fang. Yep. And White, well, that's... Uh, that goes without. No, that goes without. Needs no explanation. So uh, this is a uh, um, Catholic Stuff You Should Know edition off the cuff because about a week ago... I got sick with either the flu or Ebola, one of the two. We're not sure. And uh, I got uh, my good friend here sick as well. So we are uh, yep. in, in a recovery phase. Do you want to tell them why there's a possibility I got sick as well? So that they um, don't you know, raise questions in their hearts. Scandal taken. Escondalone. Wow. Harumph. Balloon. Um, so we went to go see Hunger Games, Mocking Jay. That was not the mocking Jay. That was the loon. But we went to go see mocking the Jay mocking catching loon. fire. And I always, anytime really, there is cherry coke on tap. Um, which, if you look around, there's very few places that have cherry coke on fountain. That is true. McDonald's doesn't have it. Arby's does have it. Uh, Taco Bell is a Pepsi restaurant, and but most of the time, movie theaters have it. So I got myself a cherry coke, and John. Took a sip out of it, and then I got sick. This but, story... But there are other people that say that was far too early for the flu to be passed on. So that, 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 the event of that story, which actually is true, took place uh, four days before I got sick. So this is about as credible. It reminds me of the Magic Loogie. You remember that Seinfeld episode? That's so, right. The uh, It's about as credible as that. But we've... Uh, Keith Hernandez! <laughs> We spent the last week. Um, I despise Keith Hernandez. <laughs> it actually hurts when I laugh. So please, could you just keep it not funny? Today? I was. Um, I used a Seinfeld <laughs> reference. <laughs> I'm watching the the. I know the audio spike when John coughs. Um, I made a Seinfeld reference in my homily the other day, and I'm realizing nobody really watches. Nobody knows it anymore. But the good thing is, the people that did watch it are the people who are our age or older. Right. So as opposed to us being relevant to the kids, we're making references that only they get, which is actually nice because sometimes you know, we or others are the ones left out of inside jokes. So we got to make them feel stupid for being young. I made a Kirby exactly. Puckett reference in my homily this weekend. And uh, yeah, it was everybody in like mid-30s who would just went crazy because they knew what I was talking about, whatever that was, 93 that jumps up on the wall, but oh yeah, but we are uh, we are real rehabilitating slowly, um, yep. thanks to my mother Mary. Um, but uh, this morning the rehabilitation took a turn for the worst because she discovered I think what we would call boys to men holiday radio on Pandora, <laughs> which was yeah, it was absolute, a little too much. It was just too much. What was it? <laughs> Pantatonics or something. <laughs> She found this band Pentatonics. called Pentatonics. They sing well, but when you wake up and you're not feeling well. Yeah, and it's just holiday, holiday, you know, men's groups. Enough. <laughs> so anyways, we are uh, approaching the holidays, but we'll talk about a women's group today. How does that sound? These podcasts, uh, we're going to do two of them today. This is the first one and then uh, another one. Uh, poorly researched. Um, poorer than usual, I would say. But uh, hey, what the heck? You still listen for some reason, <laughs> and you're used to this by now. Don't so, make fun of them. <coughs> I know, sorry. <laughs> Vicky. <laughs> Tell them that story real quick, then I'll begin. So my buddy Steve Akers, uh, when he was at school at Cal Poly, he had an answering machine, like a legitimate answering machine, and they came back one day, 
And on the answering machine, it was like, message one, <laughs> 9, 45 a.m. Uh, it's like, uh, Ricky, <laughs> Ricky, it's your mother. Kay, I think I dialed it wrong. Click. So yeah. that's pretty much our... That's, that's what our voices is. That's, have, our, that's our smoker voice. We've sounded like Ricky's mother for the last week, so... Ricky, it's your mother. Um, okay, so all that has nothing to do with anything, um, but does help fill time here. Yep. So um, what I'd like to talk about today is um, these 16 Carmelite nuns that were martyred in the year 1794. Okay. So the the Carmelite martyrs of Compiègne, I think is how you pronounce it. Okay. Compiègne. I don't speak French. I don't know. Compiègne. Compiègne. I think the, the key to French is just you, you pronounce like the first two Letters, is that right? And then the rest is... And then make a guttural... (laughs) (laughs) So Compiègne, whatever, is a a town in in the north of uh, of France, north of Paris, and uh, it was a home of a Carmel monastery, so Carmelite nuns living the totally cloistered life. Um, But uh, so they were martyred during the Reign of Terror, which uh, began in October of 1793 and went until um, right about August or September of... Uh, 1794. So it was a little under a one-year period. And uh, during that period in France, uh, I read somewhere that 25,000 people were guillotined. Hmm. It was crazy. And the famous guy from the Reign of Terror is Robespierre, Maximilien Robespierre. Robespierre. And Robespierre, who himself was eventually guillotined, and that's how the the Reign of Terror ended. Hmm. But he was big on this whole revolutionary, uh, a revolutionary government is required to lead us to transition us out of this monarchy. Mm-hmm. And so it became this just total chaos. And the height of the reign of terror was this July, the summer of, um, uh, of, uh, of 1794. And at, at a certain point, uh, they, the religious persecution, which had been going on, uh, of the church really started to heighten. And these women, um, they, they burst into their monastery, d- destroyed it, imprisoned them, and then uh, led them to the guillotine. And, and it's a famous story because as they were leading up to the guillotine, uh, they were singing the Salve Regina together, these 16 nuns, as they one by one uh, were beheaded. Was and it the Te Deum? The Te Deum and the, and the Salve Regina, oh, wow. both of them, yeah. What? Why did they not like nuns? I mean, were they just upset that as their Catholic school teachers, they like swatted their wrists or something i forget exactly what the charge was but it's the same kind of things that you hear in the in the history of uh so the committee of public safety of the national convention of revolutionary france was the the group that condemned them but they passed these laws that said um uh, that made um taking religious vows illegal um uh, priests were obviously um completely exiled or banned and um they had uh different priests would come in to say, um, Veni Creator Spiritu. That's what it was. My bad. That's what they were singing. Um, and, um, but they, uh, um, I think they were harboring priests there. They were kind of just sustaining the life of the church in that place. And Mm -hmm. so they had to just make up ridiculous laws and, and things that, uh, that destroyed them. Um, they are, uh, uh, again, July 17th is the day that they were, uh, all, um, Guillotined, and uh, they're some of the most famous uh, of the martyrs of the Reign of Terror because um, because of the innocence and the purity, and then the way that they died, uh, the heroism by which they demonstrated, and the way they died. 
But what's interesting is that um, the reason I came to know them was not from kind of going through the lives of the saints, which again, when you read the lives of the saints, it's pretty awesome. But sometimes you're like, wow, these people are amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm reading a book right now by Shisaka Endo um, oh, called yeah. Silence. And he's talking about how in the uh, 1730s, 1630s, 1630s in Japan, uh, when they started to persecute Catholics, what they would do is they would hang them upside down over a pit of feces um, and they would cut their forehead open so that they would just slowly bleed out until they repented or they died. And it would take sometimes two weeks. So you hear these stories and you say to yourself, you got to be kidding me, you know, being guillotined, being hung upside down over a pile of feces. And, and it is glorious and it's beautiful, but sometimes it's nice to read in literature, like Shizaku Endo is doing in this book, Silence, and like um, our good friend Bernanos is doing in his story of uh, the Carmelites, they, they take you into the psychology of the saints a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I came across this um, because I read this story called uh, The Dialogue of, this, of the Carmelites, which, uh, believe it or not, Bernanos wrote to be a movie. So it's a movie hmm. script, but a drama um, and uh, didn't it get made into a movie? I don't know. I don't know if it ever happened. Somewhere I read that it didn't. But prior to that, he was working out of a um, the story and a and a play by Gertrude de la Forte, and uh, they are doing something interesting. They're kind of twisting and, and spinning, and developing the story um, by creating a, a historically fictional character named Blanche de la Force is her name. So Blanche is this daughter of a marquis, so she's kind of this aristocrat, joins Carmel right before the reign of terror begins. So I need a tea, a slip in my sleepy... Is this sleepy time? Yeah. Good. We're having sleepy time at one o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon. It's been a long day already. We've already listened to... Mary, did you know? <coughs> that was our uh, best imitation of a boy band group. All morning, my mother... God bless her. Um, so they, um, so Blanche joins this Carmelite community, and what's interesting is that she's just kind of like a skittish character. She's just a very fearful uh, character, very innocent, very pure. She becomes a beautiful nun, but but <coughs> excuse me, the sisters are kind of freaking out. Like they they know the older sisters, like we know where this is headed, and um, we don't know if she's going to be able to sustain it. So there's this whole tension within the community. Uh, do we let her be a part of the community because she's so afraid and she's so fearful? Um, and it's about how does fear and courage interplay in the heart of a martyr? And and how does grace actually work in the midst of fear? Uh, and I found it to be... Mm-hmm. I When I finished it, I my literally my jaw was, it was like physically dropped. Wow. It was one of those books of just like, you get to the end and it's just like, wow, that's happened to me twice with Bernanos, with Diary of a Country Priest as well. Um, the Dialogue of the Carmelites is out of print, but it can be found in a book called Heroic Life of Innocence, by, uh, which is a collection of three things. Um, Bernanos wrote a short novella on Joan of Arc called uh, Joan, Heretic, and Saint. And then he wrote this interesting sermon by an agnostic on the Feast of St. Therese of Lisieux. Have you ever heard of this? Nope. It's crazy. So he, the story is an agnostic climbs into the pulpit on the Feast of St. Therese and preaches about the little way and how it's been lost by Christians. Pretty interesting. Hmm. And then the third piece in this collected works 
is uh, the dialogue of the Carmelites. So it's a, uh, it's a, it's a very, very um, beautiful and profoundly moving thing. But what I found was um, it helps us understand fear in the human heart and how grace actually works, uh, that people who demonstrate heroic courage are not people who never experience fear, just the absence of fear, mm-hmm. right? In fact, Aristotle says that's not even courage. If you don't experience vulnerability, um, then then it's not even uh, then it's just foolhardiness or, right. or excessive. Or you're rashness. a madman. You're crazy. Yeah. yeah. And um, to watch these women kind of struggle with fear, but then to be heroic in the end, um, I found it to be a, a kind of a tremendous, tremendous and very hopeful and very human um, approach to the lives of the saints. Yeah. I mean that's that's part of the reason why I love um, that movie of gods and men. Um, which, you know, is kind of a Catholic cult classic. Um, but it's about a similar story where you have these uh, French, are they Moroccan? I think so. Um, yeah. uh, uh, what are they, Trappists or Cistercians, something like that. And they're living, they're living, you know, in relation with the Muslims. And then all of a sudden something happens. It's triggered. The Muslims say, get out or else, you know, we're going to kill you. And they have, you know, you see this interplay in between the older and the younger monks where, you know, some of them really do want to become martyrs. Some of them are kind of like, we should leave now, continue our life. Um, And some of them are like, we have no idea what we're supposed to do. And just the way in which the reality of sanctity is lived, it's a very human reality. And it's not something that's just like, yes, let us all be martyrs and let us go to the to the firing chamber or something like um, they get into fights and they yell at each other. And um, it's actually quite beautiful. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it really is that, that movie along with of course, Calvary, which we've been talking about the last uh, yeah. couple months, which moved us so deeply. Uh, I think of Graham Greene's novel, uh, power and the glory as well. Um, that literature and art have a way of portraying the humanity of the saints in a way that's really, really important for us. Uh, as we as we desire to imitate their lives, um, there's a big jump, you know. And one of the great temptations is just uh, to spiritualism, to just say all the right things, do all the right things, and pretend like we're just above yeah. fear, above all of these different things, and and to say that's not actually what how sanctity mm-hmm. even seems to work. So. Yeah, yeah, angelism. Yeah. I think that's all I got there, boss. That's it? Okay, well, that's good. We are going to give them a short one. We've been getting longer and longer, so I think uh, I can kind of trim her down a little bit here. Yeah, once the effects of DayQuil wear off, we'll uh, we'll move on. <coughs> you yeah, didn't we, have any today. I mean, first day off DayQuil in about, I don't know, nine days, so I was like, Yuck. time to fiend off, you know. Yeah. Okay, you got any shout-outs before we go? I know, my phone's in the other room. Um so I, I got all my shout-outs on my phone. All right, well, I'll do a few. How does that sound? Well, first off, okay, have we actually formally congratulated on the podcast Deacon Chris Lebsock? I don't think we have. Okay, well, Chris, I know that you were ordained like two, two months, months ago. ago. I can't uh, believe it. But uh, congratulations. We know that you listen. We know that you get other people to listen. And uh, we just want to make sure that everybody knows that you're a total stud and you're looking jacked. And that bald head with that white cloth napkin looking like a lobster claw getting ready to grab you um, uh, for your ordination picture was a delight. Um, so we're proud of you. Um, and um, yeah, 
keep doing it. For the listeners who don't know Deacon Chris Lebsock, just imagine Mr. Clean, except even more jacked. Yeah. That's who uh, that's what we're talking about here. And uh, he's going to be an amazing priest for the Diocese of Helena, Montana yep. in June. And thanks to all the guys um, at the NAC who listen, North American College. The Seminarians studying over there. Some of the boys listening. Yep. While we're overseas, I want to thank uh, Ray O'Shaughnessy. And uh, shout out to all the London listeners. We got an email from him. And uh, oh crap! Yeah, that's right. You forgot to check emails. Is that what no? You're I don't check email. The um, we actually had two people. We had two people send us physical letters, um, and not this podcast or the next podcast because it's actually at my office. But I'm gonna make sure we read part of those letters because anybody that sends snail mail to the podcast is number one in my book. Yeah, yeah so. we appreciate that. Um, one other shout out here, and then we'll close it up. This is a this is a pretty cool one. So um, this is a shout out to Kimberly Martin. Okay, Kimberly Martin, uh, the Martin family are friends of Joy and Brad Farmer, who you know. And uh, this is what uh, her dad wrote me. He said, uh, just over a year ago, Father John, you came out to Children's Hospital to the ICU in Aurora. Thanks to our friends, the farmers, to anoint our daughter, Kimberly. Kimberly has um, completed uh, her second of three surgeries um, uh, for the treatment of thyroid cancer. Uh, she's doing far better than the doctors ever expected. And her surgeon said that this is uh, some of the worst he's ever seen in 25 years of doing uh, surgery on, on thyroid cancer. So... Uh, Kimberly, we are so grateful that you listen, uh, so grateful that you're doing well, and uh, we will definitely, uh, in a very special way, be praying for you uh, this Christmas season. Yep. Sound good? We will. All right. I think that's it. We're done. We'll see you next week. Thanks for putting up with us. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Keep it on Boys to Men Holiday Radio. Stay well. 